Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good evening. Before anybody else cracks the joke, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and say my family knew I was preaching. That's, not why, they're, that's why they're not here. So, to, uh, we actually have singing night. Uh, Selfville's kind of getting back to a little bit of normal. They're doing singing night tonight, so it's a good opportunity for my sons. And um, I, Before we get started, I, I, I do feel like I need to say something of a personal nature. Uh, I'm kind of reluctant to do that too very often, but we have really enjoyed... Uh, joining in the fellowship with you all here. Really appreciate y'all uh, making us feel welcome. And um, the summer is kind of shaping up where it looks like we won't be here as much. We've got a lot of, of different reasons. I've got my nephew staying with us, and he's doing a preacher training program with me. And uh, we're kind of you know, just going to be absent more than we're going to be here. But I, I didn't want y'all to think that all of a sudden we were done with y'all. Uh, we, we've really appreciated being here. And uh, it's meant a lot to us. It's meant a lot, and just expanding our, our fellowship down here has, has been very special. So just wanted you all to know that. Uh, and looking forward to not only t- being able to preach this evening, but preaching uh, next week as well. Uh, so looking forward to, to being able to share both of those times with you. Um, as we get started this evening, uh, the title for the lesson is kind of a, it's a different kind of a lesson for me. Um, really, all what I wanted to do with this lesson was kind of go through, look at the the figures that God uses, Christ uses uh, so very often. You know, He preaches, uh, Jesus teaches with imagery and metaphor, and and the the pictures that He paints in these uh, using this colorful language help us to understand things on a very deep level. He's trying to explain to us spiritual concepts deep. Uh, very powerful things, and it's hard for us uh, to grasp them sometimes, and, and that's really often why he preaches, uh, why he uses his, uh, teaching tools, and so many of the times, a lot of them are uh, plant illustrations, l- illustrations from plant life, and so I just kind of started compiling them, and it surprised me how many there were, and I'll even say this, uh, I, we're going to be kind of in turbo mode this evening trying to get through all this, and, and everything we're doing uh, this evening is all from the New Testament. Uh, so if you want to challenge yourself, you could kind of do the same exercise and go through the Old Testament looking for uh, plant metaphors, lessons from plants, and, and a whole other lesson to be had there. Uh, so uh, my wife says, you know, said I had too much information here. And I said, well, if nothing else, maybe I'll whet their appetite. They can do some studying uh, on their own and, and hopefully be benefited by that. As you think just in general about creation, the, the plants and all of the different things that we see uh, in that world, uh, if nothing else, you can see the beauty of, of God's creation. You can see the variety. You can see uh, wisdom. You can see uh, j- just amazing things. Anytime we look at creation, we see that. We're, we're amazed by his, his design, his power, uh, and, and not only just that he made functional things, but he made beautiful things, beautiful things. And and certainly we see that in the plant, in the plant world. Uh, but Jesus goes a step further, and he illustrates these lessons for us using the plants. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. I, I've got everything divided up into three sections. And this first section, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 1 as we get started. Uh, this first section here 
uh, every uh, passage here is referring to uh, the analogy as the seed being the word. The seed is the word. And, and there's things off of that that we obviously uh, glean off of that analogy. But all of the scriptures you see there are, are using it in that way. The seed is the word. Uh, you see it in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 here. And if you go back up in the text just a little bit, reminding us uh, back in verse 19, uh, we have been uh, bought with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb unblemished. Uh, verse 22, uh, purify souls by obedience to the truth. Uh, he's begging them to love one another from a pure heart. So he, he's talking about elements of what it means to be a Christian there, how we became Christians. And then in verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, that is the living and abiding Word of God. So here he refers to the Word of God as a living and abiding seed. It's very powerful to think about the Word of God as a seed. And as I mentioned, all these other verses will use it in that way as well. The Word is the seed. You plant the Word in someone's life and it brings forth a Christian. It brings forth salvation. Uh, God's Word uh, seems unimpressive uh, to people in the world. It seems like nothing. The, the same way you would look at a seed uh, and, and certainly if you didn't know better, if you didn't know what that seed could become and you looked at that seed, it would appear as nothing to you. It would appear as just you know, a little piece of dead something, almost like a piece of a twig or something. But uh, God's Word in the same way uh, to people in the world that they can't understand it. They can't see what it is and they certainly can't see far enough to, to see what it can become. But the, the Word of God, the seed planted in a person's life can become something marvelous it can become something wonderful as that seed takes root and begins to grow uh, i'd like you to connect that in your mind with romans 1 16 the gospel is the power of god unto salvation as we're trying to to help people come to the lord we're trying to to point people to the gospel we need to remember salvation is in the word salvation is in the word we, we can't win them over with you know, pizza parties. We can't win them over with, with fellowship necessarily. We have to win them over with the Word. And that's what this is telling us. We've been born again. And, of course, even that imagery, that'd be a whole other lesson, but the imagery of the born again, we see that throughout Scripture too. Born again by this imperishable seed. Uh, so run with me uh, in that vein for just a minute. Let's go back to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we'll go through these verses uh, kind of in the order that they're up there. Uh, bouncing a little bit around, but uh, back in Mark chapter 4, a very simple little parable told here, and it really kind of sets the stage for the parable of the sower, uh, which, which we you know, have spent a lot of time on, I'm sure, at different times. But uh, this parable is much simpler. It just says, uh, The kingdom of God, verse 26, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Just the simple lesson uh, that the seed is sown and the, the farmer, he doesn't really know how, but it grows, you know. And people say, oh, no, we know how. We know how, you know, you got the soil and you got the heat and the water and we, we know why it grows. Well, kind of, but, but still there's, there's something there that's beyond science. You, science can take the atoms of the seed and recreate something that looks like the seed but science can't create the germ of life within the seed. There's something spectacular there. There's something marvelous there. And, and the Word of God is that way. 
there's something in the Word of God that is beyond our ability to comprehend. That's why we can't change it. That's why we cannot alter it. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. We have to treat it with respect. And and as we sow the seed in the lives of, of our friends and our neighbors, remember, if they're going to have any hope, if our friends and our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and our fellow students are going to have any hope, it's going to be in them responding to the Word of God. And we just need to get it out there. We need to get it out there. We need to challenge ourselves. How can I get the Word into people's lives? And, and I, don't, I don't need to know how it's going to grow. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't need to know, you know what the end result is. How in the world could the Gospel affect that person? How in the world? Could that person ever respond to the gospel? Don't worry about that. Get the seed out there. Get the seed out there. And, and the seed will have its effect where it will. And that's what we have to do. We have to figure out how to do that. Uh, going along with that, turn over to Matthew 13. You'll notice the next several verses are from Matthew 13. And I want to skip kind of to the end of that where you see the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, One of my favorites, it's just so simple, similar to the one we just saw, uh, Matthew 13, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds. And, you know, people will say, well, no, it's not. No, no, there's actually smaller seeds. That's not his point. His point is just, it's a very small seed. And then he says, when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. And people say, oh, no, there's things that that grow bigger. That's not. His point is that a small seed grows into something big, grows into something substantial. And look what he says next. So that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. So here you put those two parables together and you've got the sower going out and sowing seed. It grows. He doesn't know how. And, and in some cases, the, the gospel, the seed of the Word of God, grows so big that, that other people in the community are benefited by it. And we all have stories like that, don't we? We all know stories where the seed touched somebody's life and in a way that we couldn't even understand this person that we never would have thought would become a Christian became a Christian and he grew or they grew so strong that they were a benefit to everyone around them with their hospitality and and with their generosity and with their kindness and with their love. People came and benefited from that growth in their life. Don't we know stories like that where the gospel has changed somebody in an amazing way? Isn't isn't that beautiful to think about? It's marvelous to think about. There's a few of the verses where we could make this point. I'll go ahead and make it and we can reference back to it. Have you ever thought, you know, take an apple seed, for instance. You, You stare at the apple seed and unless you knew what an apple tree looked like, you would never be able to look at that seed and figure out what it was going to become. You would never be able to, to, to see. You can't put it under a microscope and see the tree. Uh, isn't that kind of powerful to think about? You know, the, the gospel at work in someone's life is something that, that we can't even comprehend the far reaches of. We can't even comprehend it. You know, there, there's stories too. I'm sure we could spend hours sharing stories about you know, somebody who left a track on a table and then somebody's cleaning the table up and finds the track and then they become a Christian and there's a whole line of people who became Christians all because one person left a track. Somebody was just sowing seed. And then it became something beautiful. It became something wonderful. 
going back to the parable of the sower in the beginning of the chapter, and there's so many lessons from the parable of the sower. The, this, the language in the parable of the sower is something that we really should meditate on, and I, I don't have time this evening to spend time on it, but think about the, you know, the wayside soil, so packed down, so trodden on, that the seed can't even find purpose, can't even begin to grow because the soil is so hard. You know, that's a picture of people whose minds have been so uh, packed down by false teaching and false narrative that they can't even begin to receive the Word. And then other soil where the rocks are and other soil where the thorns are. There's lessons in all of that. And then you have the good soil. You have the good soil which bears various levels of production. Uh, And then Jesus goes on to explain it. And, And He says in here, the seed is the Word of God. When He's explaining it, the seed is the Word of God. I always love it when the Scriptures explain themselves. Isn't that, you know, we don't have to speculate. There, there it is. The seed is the Word of God, just like we saw in First Peter. So many wonderful lessons to take from that. I remember early on in, in my walk as a Christian thinking in terms of, okay, well, we have some people who are the wide soil and some people who are the rocky soil and some people are the thorny soil. And then, then we've got some people who are the good soil. And, you know, that, you know, that's not really his point. His point is that you can be any kind of, any one of us, I should say, any one of us can be good soil. Any one of us can be good soil. Look what he says there in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. He's not saying you're either thorny soil or rocky soil or good soil. And, you know, if you're good soil, that's great. If you're thorny soil, tough, tough luck for you. No, he's saying. We can all be good soil. Make sure that you are good soil. And when he's explaining it, look what he says in verse 23. What is sown on the good soil is the one who hears the Word and understands. That's the point. Make sure that you're listening. Make sure that your ears are open to receive the Word. Make sure your heart's not so hard. Make sure you don't have rocks and thorns in your life that are keeping the Word from being productive. It's up to us whether we are the right kind of soil. I think this is a great lesson from this parable to make the point that a person's response to the gospel uh, is essential. You know, some people teach these days that God's going to save who He's going to save. You don't have any input in that. No. We have responsibility to hear. We have responsibility to listen. What about the parable of the tares? Uh, He begins that there in uh, verse uh, 24. Uh, the parable of the tares. Here you see the enemy sows the tares. The enemy sows the weeds. A um, lot that we could say about that, but the the enemy does that. That's Satan. Satan is at work sowing different seeds, sowing altered seed, corrupted seed. And, and you could think of Galatians 1. Galatians 1 speaks about, uh, Paul uh, tells us about people coming with different gospels. And he says there's not really another gospel, and that's where you have to know what the word means. The word means good news, and they're coming claiming that they have good news, but Paul says it's not really good news. It's not really going to save you. It's not really going to make you a good person. There are a lot of false teachings in this world. There are a lot of false doctrines in this world. Satan has done his job very well. And he's sown a lot of weeds in this world. Part of the lesson there is, is God tells us, I'm going to let them both grow together. I'm going to let them both grow together. Uh, and, and in the end, in Judgment Day, we'll sort it out. You see what he says there at the end, verse 30. 
Uh, when harvest times comes, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles, and let them be burned. And we're going to grow that analogy as we get deeper into this lesson, but that's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. Only the true Word, only God's Word, only the Gospel will save you. Anything else is going to get you burned. Anything else will, will be destroyed in the day of judgment. And that, that's a very, very powerful analogy. Uh, you can add to that Matthew 15. Matthew 15, Jesus here says uh, in verse 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Anything that God hasn't planted, if it's not his gospel, if it's not his seed, it will be rooted up. It will be destroyed. As I say, uh, there's so many things to learn from these analogies. I, I hope... If nothing else, as we we're flying by this bird's eye view, I hope I'm whetting your appetite to study it and meditate on it uh, some on your own. So the next section uh, runs with this analogy, uh, but kind of builds on it the idea that continual care is necessary. The, the plant, the, the Word of God in our life needs to be nurtured. It needs to be tended. It needs to be cared for. And of course we can see that from the parable of the sower. If you've got rocks in your life, you need to get them out. If you've got thorns in your life, you need to get them out. You, know, the, you can see some of that in, in those analogies as well. Uh, but we're, we'll build on that as we look at these verses. So first off, go to 1 Corinthians 3 with me. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, this is a really fun analogy that Paul uh, builds on here for us in chapter 3. He's, he's presenting uh, or, or confronting, I should say, the divisions that exist in the church at Corinth. They're calling themselves by different names. Uh, and he asked the question, uh, what is Apollos? They were calling themselves by different people's names. Who is Apollos? What, what is Paul? They're just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And then he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's a really fun extension of the analogy that we've already been building on. You have sowers, you have people who are out there sowing seed, and now you have a picture of somebody coming behind that and watering, coming behind that and tending those plants. You know, we use that language from time to time, and I, in doing some self-examination, I've identified uh, kind of my own strengths and weaknesses. I, I've always kind of seen myself, I'm, I'm not really great as a sower, but I'm pretty good. I'm really good at a waterer. That's kind of where I'm better at is watering people who already have faith. That's not an excuse. That, that's not a, okay, well, I just won't sow any seed. I'll just be over here watering. Like, no, I need to work on that. I need to become better at sowing the seed. But, but isn't it interesting to see these different roles that we can play? And, and all of us need to be trying to figure out how we can sow seed. How can we water and realize that that's a necessary thing? Tending the plants. And, and even, as I said, uh, in our own lives as we're trying to get out rocks and we're trying to get out thorns, that's something that we can help other people with as well, to try to help them, try to help them to overcome their challenges and things that are holding them back so that they can be a more productive plant for the Lord. One of the important things in this language, in this text here, is he reminds us God gave the growth. You know, if you sowed some seed and, and you helped to create a Christian, you, you helped somebody to come to the gospel, that's an extremely wonderful feeling, isn't it? It's a wonderful feeling. And, and if you've helped somebody to become removed from, from a babe in Christ to a mature Christian, and you've helped mentor them, teach them, and that's extremely encouraging. Just remember, God gets the glory for that. God gets the glory. 
You know, you can be thankful that you were a part of it, but God gets the glory. God causes the growth. And that's really the, the point if you come down to verse 8, uh, and really verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. So he's using that analogy to show you know, we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all working for God here, and we ought not to let pride get involved. Going back to the Gospels to Luke 13. In Luke 13, uh, look with me in verse 6. Here you see a man uh, uh, planted a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit. He says he found none. And the, to the vine dresser, he says, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. You know, we, we remember Jesus, it, not even in a parable, but it, actually in a story. He's walking along and he sees the fig tree with no fruit. He came up to it wanting to get fruit, and when he finds none, he curses it. When they came back, uh, it had withered, it had died. You know, very similarly, uh, what he's teaching us in, those, uh, in these stories, this parable and that story, is he expects fruit. He expects fruit from us. He expects us to be fruitful. And in this analogy, he, he waited three years, he expected the fruit, and he's done. He's ready to be done with it. And his worker says to him in verse 8, uh, Sir, let it alone this year also. I'll, I'll dig around it, I'll put manure on it, and, and if it bears fruit then, well, well good. Uh, but if not, then you can cut it down. It still needs to be productive. It still needs to bear fruit. But in this parable, they're going to give it just a little bit more time. Just a little bit more time. And I, I think that's a powerful thing for us to remember. Is God is expecting us to be productive. The fact that, that uh, you're alive right now and, and, and uh, bearing whatever fruit you are for Him is, is, a, is a sign that He's patient with you, that He's long-suffering with you. Uh, he's, he's wanting you to produce fruit, and you know, eventually that patience is going to run out. Eventually, if you're not productive, he will be done with you, and he will cut you down. Uh, we see that in John 15. If you come to John 15, this is normally uh, the text we go to to describe this. He says, uh, I am the vine, verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. So here, if you are not bearing fruit, what's going to happen? Well, he says he's going to take it away. You're, you'll be taken away. That language is almost too soft. Uh, taken away doesn't really sound terrible. So skip down and read what he says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. So you know, just in case you thought that being taken away sounded like a good thing, it's not. He's talking about you being burned. So in these two analogies, what we've seen is that if you are a tear, if you're a wheat, if you've bought into false teaching, if, you're, if you've been growing false seed in your life, you're going to be burned. But also here, even if you grew the right kind of seed, but you weren't productive, you didn't bear fruit, you are also going to be burned. Isn't, isn't that, that should be sobering. That should be very sobering for us. It's not enough just to have the truth. You've got to be productive with the truth. You've got to bear fruit with the truth. So we should take this very seriously. Now to those of us who, who hopefully are looking at ourselves and saying, well, I, I've borne some fruit. Don't, don't cut me off. Don't cut me off. Well, what does he say in verse 2? 
If you do bear fruit, God is going to prune you so you can bear more fruit. And there you get the image of being pruned. Being pruned so you can be more productive. That, that's a very fun analogy to run with in your life. Why would we need to be pruned? How would that help? What, what does that image bring to our mind? Well, you know, if, I, I understand rose bushes just a little bit. And if you let all of the blooms go, well, they'll all come out, but they'll just kind of sort of come out. So when they're, when they're starting to come, you, you trim them down just a little bit, and then the ones that will, are there will be more gorgeous. They'll be more beautiful. So we, we trim away the things that are in the way. We trim away the things that are unproductive. I think you could connect this with the rocks and the thorns from the parable of the sower. The things that, that are just in the way, the things that are keeping us from being productive, they need to be removed. Now how does that take place? How are we pruned? Look what verse 3 says. Uh, to his disciples, he said, you are already clean because of the Word. You've already been pruned because of the Word. I'm going to prune you some more. And this, I think, is where the analogy breaks down. Anytime you're using analogies, they're going to break down somewhere. And So you say, well, the seed is the Word. How can the seed prune us? How can the Word be both the seed and the pruner? It's like, well, our analogy broke down. It does both. It's, it's amazing. The seed falls in the soil and grows. And then also the seed, also the Word of God, prunes the plant as it grows so that it can be the most productive plant it could possibly be. And so what we're learning is it's not enough just for the Gospel to be growing in your life. We've got to be tending the Gospel, tending the Gospel with the Word so that we can be productive. And that's, that's a continual thing. That's something that we need to take very, very seriously. Several other verses that kind of go along with that. I know uh, Matthew 7, a uh, very simple analogy. We'll, we'll uh, just kind of reference that, but he tells us there, you'll know a good tree by the fact that it bears good fruit. And you'll know a bad tree by the fact that it bears bad fruit. Pretty simple to understand that. Uh, we ought to be able to, to, to take that in spiritually and realize that if somebody is bearing you know, strong fruit of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit, then you will see that. You'll see it as being something that glorifies God. And by extension, if you see somebody who is, is bearing uh, evil fruit, sinful fruit, you're, you're going to know that's not a child of God. They're not living with the Word in their life. Hebrews 6 is, is a very powerful passage as well. It talks there about uh, how he is expecting the people. He's, he's hoping that the people will become a productive piece of land. He refers to them there as a field. Uh, you are the field of God. And he's wanting them to be productive. He says, but if you're not, it, you're close to being burned. He, he warns them there, you're close to being burned. He says, I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope that you fix the problems. I hope that you, that you can make the changes necessary for salvation. But you're, you're right on the edge. You're right on the edge of being burned uh, because you're not productive. The final section uh, just g gives us general lessons where we see plants being mentioned in different ways. And I'll, I'll just kind of, kind of do a flyby on this. Um, in Matthew 6, you know uh, the section where he's talking to us about not being anxious, not being anxious for our life. And, 
And in that section, he gives us the, the picture of the lilies of the field. Remember, he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Your father in heaven, he, he takes care of them. He adorns them with great beauty and, and such variety. And, and what he asks us is, why are you worried? Why are you worried about whether he's going to take care of you? And he, in that text there, he says, O ye of little faith. He's wanting us to look out into the world and see the beauty of the lilies and realize if God had that kind of care and that kind of concern for something that springs up and then is gone almost you know, in a week's time, how much more will He take care of us? How much more will He bless us? O ye of little faith. O we of little faith. In Romans 11, there's a real uh, powerful text there uh, about grafting. He uses the analogy of grafting uh, to describe how the Gentile nations came to be a part of the vine. And remember, Romans is primarily speaking to Jewish Christians, trying to help them to understand their place in things, and, and part of that is understanding the Gentiles' place in things. And he says there in Romans 11 that natural branches, that's the Jewish nation, natural branches were cut off in order that unnatural branches, the wild branches, should, could be grafted in. That's the Gentiles. And what we, we learn there is that, that God has the ability to put anyone onto the vine. He can, he can graft anyone onto the vine. And in that text, he describes the branches, the natural branches that were broken off. He says they were broken off for their unbelief. You are grafted in because of your faith. And he says, don't let that lead you to arrogance. You know, it would be... Uh, easy uh, for those of us who have been grafted in and we know we're a part of the vine and we, we can sometimes get a little arrogant about that because we know we're a part of the vine. And he says in this text, don't be conceited, but fear. This should, also, this should actually be a lesson to remind us to fear. If he did not spare the natural branches, if he was willing to cut off a natural branch, how much more is he going to be willing to cut off an, a grafted in branch if we don't walk by faith? And that's the verse where he says, uh, Behold the kindness and severity of God. Behold the kindness and severity of God. If you walk by faith, he'll graft you in. If you stop walking by faith, he'll cut you off. You know, it's not that hard to understand, not that hard to see. I love 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if you don't do anything else with this lesson, I would ask you to go and read 1 Corinthians 15 while this is fresh in your mind. The, the picture there in, in toward the end of, of 1 Corinthians 15 is he's trying to help us to understand what our eternal bodies are going to be like. And I, I don't know, I would imagine all of us, we all have a hope in heaven, and I would imagine all of us have thought about that. What, what is my eternal body going to be like? He tells me I'm going to get a new body. What's it going to be like? And, and in that text there, toward the very end of the chapter, he says, don't you realize that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? You know, how silly of us to think that we're going to get to a spiritual place and we're going to be in our fleshly body. Can't, can't we see how silly that is? It doesn't work. We have to first die so that we can be raised imperishable. And in that context, he gives us the picture of the seed. The seed has to die. It has to be buried in order for it to bring forth the, the plan, in, or, in order for it to get its new body. So he's using that very 
example of an analogy of a seed dying to show how we will get our spiritual bodies. And as I told you, we'd come back to this earlier. There is no way that we can look at this physical seed that we are right now and figure out what kind of spiritual body we're going to have. You know, any more than you could look at an apple seed and figure out what that tree is going to be if you hadn't already seen it. And that's the fact of the matter is we have never seen what a spiritual body looks like. We've never seen it. We, we know from that chapter that we're going to be like Him. But we don't know what that is. <laughs> that's like saying to somebody who has never seen an apple tree, it'll be like an apple tree. Well, they've never seen one. You know, there's no way we can look at this physical body and imagine what our spiritual body can be like. But He's reminding us it's going to have to die. That's a little bit uncomfortable to think about, but this body is going to have to die so that you can be born imperishable, so that you can put on immortality. A very, very powerful analogy. In 1 Peter 1, where we started in verse 23, uh, immediately after that, Peter uses the image of the flower of the field to remind us of the brevity of life. And of course, Jesus uh, used very similar language. In, in 1 Peter 1, verse 24, all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He's wanting us to look out into creation and realize that just like the flowers that come and go, you know, we have uh, different things that bloom in our yard. The dogwoods are my favorite, but I only get about two weeks a year uh, two weeks out of the year where they're just beautiful and then they fade away into nothing. It's just another tree. Uh, he, he wants us to see that and realize that that's, that's your glory. That's, that's really what your life is like. Um, 70 years, if by reason of strength, 80 years. It's just a drop in the bucket next to eternity. We're, we're all going to fade. We're all going to die. Uh, we're all going to have run our course uh, and what will matter at that point is whether we lived for God or not, whether we lived for eternity. So he's using this as a reminder for us uh, that we too will, will uh, die one day. We too will wither and pass on. I saved James 5 for the end because it's one of my favorites. If you turn to James 5, he's using the analogy of the farmer uh, and the patience of the farmer. In verse 7 and 8, he speaks, uh, asks the brethren to have patience until the coming of the Lord. You need patience. And then he gives this example. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. So you, if you can imagine the farmer, he has to have faith, he has to have confidence that he's going to get the early rains, that he's going to get the late rains. He plants the seed in anticipation of that, and then he waits. He waits and he hopes. And the, the writer here, James, gives us this analogy to say in verse 8, you too, you also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Is at hand. So here he's using plants to teach us patience. Plants to teach us God's not going to forget about you. God's not going to abandon you. You can have confidence in Him. You just need patience. You just need patience to wait for your reward. hope that you've enjoyed this. It was really fun putting this together. And, and even with all this, we skipped a few verses. I, I referenced the fruit of the Spirit, but we didn't really go there and think about that. But 
one of the things that just preparing this lesson did for me was, was got me thinking about all the different analogies that Jesus, is, Jesus uses, all the different analogies that we see in Scripture. Uh, it, it's so fun, it's so powerful to see how God uses His creation, uses the wisdom of the world to teach us spiritual truths. So uh, as I say, if nothing else, I hope I've whet your appetite to, to dig into these things a little bit and to meditate on them some for yourself. Uh, one point I'd really like you to, to reflect on and meditate on is back to the parable of the And we'll use that kind of as our invitation for this evening. You, you know uh, the main lesson, I believe, or one of the main lessons with the parable of the sower is it's up to us whether or not we're good soil. It's up to us how we receive the gospel. And, and that's really so important. As you're thinking about whether or not you are being productive, whether or not you're bearing fruit, whether or not you're bearing uh, good, uh, productive fruit for the Lord, you, know, you need to think about whether or not you're the right kind of soil. If you're looking at your life and you know for whatever reason you're not being as productive as you should be, you're, you're not bearing fruit like you should, uh, the answer is, is in the soil. You need to tend the soil. You need to get rid of some thorns. You need to get rid of some rocks. Uh, you need to let God's Word prune you so that you can become more productive for Him. So I'd ask you to reflect on that as we sing the invitation song. And if you know of any changes that need to be made, any reason at all uh, for you to come forward and make confession, please take advantage of this time as we stand and sing. Hosanna, you're my King. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again and we pray God's blessings for you.